Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. On today's episode of Credit Hour, we speak with Keith Braveheart, an artist, USD alumnus, and a professor at Oglala Lakota College. Keith, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, Michael. Thank you. Um, you know, I think the last time we chatted, you were about to finish your MFA, or maybe just had. Um, you know, what have you been up to lately? Well, I did complete my MFA at USD, and uh, upon um, finishing, I, I, I moved back to Western South Dakota, which is my my home. And um, I had originally intended on just enjoying life after graduate school, just take some time off and um, make paintings, make art, and try to just enjoy, um, again, less of the responsibilities of being a graduate student. But um, I was approached in a short period of transition time um, by our tribal college, which is the Oglala Lakota College. And it's on the Pine Ridge Reservation, which I am a tribal citizen of. And I was uh, approached with um, the opportunity to be an art instructor. So I, I met with the, the institution and the department, which our art program sits under, which is the Humanities and Social Science. And um, I really appreciated the opportunity, and really because I wanted to, to work with the students that are um you know, our Oglala Lakota relatives is how I would view them. So a lot of the communities that come from our, our tribal homelands, but also Rapid City. And and I wanted to, to work with them, to have a chance to, to have conversations with them, but also share a lot of the privileges that I've gained throughout my journeys and see if I could help inspire uh, anyone artistically. So took the job and... Um, have been working now for uh, two years. This is the start of my third year, and um, I got the opportunity to to move back to my hometown, which is Kyle, South Dakota. It's located on the Pine Ridge Reservation, so I'm happy. I'm happy to be home and to be able to be around relatives and family again, and just kind of, uh, I guess, get more involvement in, in community and also culture. You know, I guess what maybe has teaching art taught you about art? Um, it, it constantly teaches me um, something new each and every time. And I really appreciate my time at USD as a graduate student because that also began that uh, experience for me as far as being a graduate uh, assistant to help teach some of the, the drawing courses for the College of Fine Arts. But also even working for like the Oscar House Summer Art Institute for many years, I had experiences more working with uh, high school students and getting a little bit of a feel for for art instruction. What what would I share? What do I feel is fundamental? What do I feel is um, knowledge or information that is necessary and essential? But as I really took the official role of being an arts instructor for our OLC um, college. I start to realize that there's a lot of things that I need. And as an artist, if you're going to have a proficiency in your practice, you need to uh, consistently work these principles. So very, very you know, introductory at the beginning of how you learn to draw, how you learn to create design, how you learn to create a painting. 
all of these things that I feel like I've already mastered and I could put far behind me. In fact, I, I need to, to always make sure that they're still in my pocket or that they're visible. So it's, it's fun to share these with uh, students and people who might not even really be interested in art but are taking the course as an elective because they, they see something that it's like um, not every day you come across the potential of what art can do for a person, but I see that with each class. And and again, in my practice, I also start to see it having an impact and helping me make, I feel, better work with each piece. Yeah, so what would be one maybe um, piece of advice that you would offer like an aspiring artist right now? Um, I say just always um, think about what it is that you want to do. And, and in a way, it becomes more critical thought. So think about what is your heart desire what do you want to do you know maybe it's you love art you know you don't have to articulate it to a 10th degree or nothing like that but just simply maybe it makes you feel good um if that's true to you then then pursue that further you know start to see what more you could do around that interest or that passion Uh, maybe it leads you to taking courses and it would each course, um, I think you'll progress forward. You'll, you'll earn, um, earn to learn more. There's an, an urgency that's going to start to, I think, manifest with any person who, who's pursuing some sort of a, a journey um, that they're going to want to see more and more or they're going to want to taste more and more or they're going to want to feel more and more, you know. So simply, I just say, think about that. You know, have a conversation with yourself and try to find what it is that you want to do, you know, and don't a career right away because that might be a little bit more uh, challenging for you to start to visualize what may be already in front of you. Um, and you might have to start to overthink things or more complex than it actually is. Um, I love that idea what you said there about like a sense of urgency um, or an impulse, I guess, to make art when you're really in it. I mean, how, how do you, how do you balance that? Um, with your own practice, I mean, do you find yourself staying up way late at night trying to finish a project? Do you try to do it more consistently? Is it just whenever kind of the muse strikes, you feel the need to, um, you know, go create? How how do you create art? Um, yeah, those are uh, really good thoughts. And I was actually just having a conversation yesterday with one of my students um, in class at 9 a.m., and um, I was really proud of my student because she was very diligent. She always shows up early to class, and, and I know she's also tired. Uh, so our semester this this year is all online because of the COVID um, pandemic. And um, she also has a family that she has to, you know, organize their schedule as well, too. And we're talking about it, and she's saying she was kind of feeling tired, but I was trying to give her support, and then she started to talk about, you know, her and her husband, who's also an artist, their their preference for art-making time was late at night. And I was telling her that I remember when I was a student, I used to enjoy these morning classes because it kind of, I might be a little groggy in the morning as well, too, but when I got going creating art, it kind of was a good way to start the day. Uh, so we were talking about that, a schedule, and then I, I kind of wrapped it up with just saying that Really, when you become an artist, there is no such thing as time. There's no schedule. You're creative all the time. Um, you don't know exactly when you're 
moments of pr- um, productivity might be. I mean, you can try to very much structure have a schedule and stick to that. But if you're truly, you know, a spirited artist, you have to be ready for any moment that might strike. And self, I can go into late into night. And when I was at USD working on my, my thesis work, I was actually all night. And I remember leaving the studio. It was early morning sometimes. Um, now that changed because I also have to work. All these factors of how we schedule our lives come into play later on. But we got to work around those. So, you know, now I'm also dealing with um, the lighting. Because I'm painting, I need to have sufficient light to see my paintings. And I'm only able to do that when the sun's out right now because I don't have light in my rooms. I can work with my lamps, official light, but I really prefer to have more of that natural light when I'm working on these pieces. So that kind of lets me know when I'm going to be making this work, you know. But it could also, you know, come in different forms of what you're doing that's artistic you know i could research could just think you know <laughs> well, yesterday i was washing my dishes and during that moment of time it was very um valuable because i got to plan a lot of things in my mind of what i'm going to do when it comes time to actually get into the studio or you know otherwise as well to prepare lectures and stuff like that um keith that makes me laugh it makes me think of a interview i did with um john quick to see and a question that we started talking about was what do you do when you don't feel creative, right? What do, what do you do when you maybe have to kind of just like prime up the juices and try to uh, try to get the creative juices flowing? Um, and one suggestion that was offered was like, go sweep the floor, go do your dishes. Um, Cause there's something about that methodical nature that will put you in the right headspace. What do you do when you don't necessarily feel maybe super creative, but you want to get in that mindset or you just have to get a project done. So, so you kind of have to be. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that as well, too, because I think that that, that does have value in it. And when you're, I mean, John Quick to See Smith is one of our masters, and she has a very, very great uh, history of what she's accomplished as an artist, and she's um, also acquired many, many great experiences that she can share with a lot of younger artists and up-and-coming artists. And that's something simple. I mean, that's a lived experience right there is that sweep the floor, wash dishes, do something that's just not art related, but <clears throat> still has a function to your, your lifestyle. And in that, I think that you can start to kind of just clear your mind or start to get your, your mind a little bit in order, possibly. I know a lot of other um, people that I talk to who might be like writers or musicians, they talk about going on walks. You know, you go on a walk or maybe even like uh, you're walking around in a circle and it's like a way to just get your thoughts really, I think, more clarified. I think of even like being in the shower. How many people, when they're in the shower, all these thoughts come to them or they plan out things that are meant for that day or even for beyond that day as well, too. So I think just life itself is a good moment for us to be ready to kind of think about what we're going to do, you know, however that comes. I mean. Maybe for some people, it's going on a drive or riding a horse or playing with their their dogs or their children. Who knows? Um, I think it's many variations of how that can be. For me, myself, the moments to get away from things, especially how everything's online nowadays, kind of break from that. Maybe just sit quietly for a while or 
spend time with my son and my wife. Um, you know, you mentioned that uh, you're teaching all the classes at OLC online. Um, you know, what challenges, I guess, has that presented as an educator? It, it definitely presents challenges, but um, it also, I think, definitely presents opportunities and potentials as well, too. Uh, the challenges, um, I mean, it, it's really obvious that I think when you're in a higher education, you, you really need a, a space, a learning space, a classroom. I think we realize now how uh, important that is to have that atmosphere, that environment. And we can probably even understand that more if we look back at the whole lineage of, of how classrooms and study spaces were developed in the arts. As, I, as I, my courses are more specifically geared around studio arts, I know that it's important. I know that there needs to be a studio space for artists to begin to manifest these creative um, urgencies and visions. And it's not just only individually based. So the students, the the, uh, the classroom, the whole collective, it relies on this energy that's really being, I think, passed around. It's a synergy in a way it's felt by everyone. So uh, that's missing. You know, you can still get a little bit of that through Zoom, um, but you need to have that in person. And I'm doing the best that I can do to try to be very strategic in how I can get the best I can out of what we're dealing with for our students. But I know for a fact that you need to have that studio component. So, I mean, that's the biggest challenge. And I, and I think that everybody's feeling that. I know students who are in elementary school are probably feeling that as well, too. Um, people who are working, you know, they're they're probably feeling that as well, too. Um, but again, like I said, there's there's also um, good potentials and opportunities with this whole online. I think that it's presenting just the awareness that we are in a technological time. It's a, a new era, and what more can that bring or supplement in in the way that we would traditionally prefer? I guess. You know, speaking of the pandemic, what if any influence has I guess COVID had on your art personally? I, I think, um, like everybody else, um, when everything kind of became more of a reality and we're, we're seeing things like uh, persons being affected, uh, falling ill, uh, passing away, um, I think that that's something that automatically became a, a mentality that was in our mind. And then second to that was just the reality of like how we have to make a quick shift or conversion in our um, professional lifestyles. Maybe for me as an educator, I had to move quickly. It was a lot of work and it was um, it was something where it can overwhelm your, your mind even more because you're also trying to be organized and you're trying to you know, have foresight to see things of what might occur and how can you kind of prepare for those occurrences. Uh, you're also, in a way, a person who is kind of a, I would say, like a mediator. You're in between and you're dealing with students and they're coming to you with their own um, keys and, and terms and you're trying to help them out as well too. 
you want them not to lose focus of of their progressions and and all of the um, achievements that they're they're going through. And you're trying to make sure that you know just life as well too. You know, you have your own families and, and relatives that you have to to work with as well too. So for me, it was a lot of um, I guess responsibility first. And my my art making became, you know, lower on the priority list. I still had to create, you know, a creative person as an artist. You have to have that outlet that you've already identified as being part of who you are. And yeah, I, I still make things, but it wasn't so as important as as other things in life. But um, I also saw uh, the reality of how. It affected the inability and finances for artists. A lot of things were canceled, so a lot of artists were, were feeling that impact um, financially. Myself, I w- I'm very fortunate to have my position as, as an art instructor, but I also rely on income during my off-contract time in the summer. And um, just thinking about those things, you know, how are you going to just make the bills for the summertime and stuff like that, so... It was definitely, I think I said, a, a significant moment in our in our history that we're all working through. But I think now we're kind of getting more and more equipped. And I think it was, a, in a way, kind of also a good thing because it made a lot of people become more fluent in things that were always there for them, but maybe that they just never made the time for. So I see a lot of, um, I would say, our legends, our artists who are, are more from a older generation now on zoom i see them working with technology to to be a part of these things that before i only saw younger generations are those who make computer use and part of their everyday life keith you're you're involved with a lot of different projects you're a you know multimedia artist are there any projects that stick out in your head that you've been working on the last couple years yes um well as I mentioned, um, painting is always going to be kind of my, my first love. And, and I do um, make a lot of paintings. But when it, when it, right now, I think I'm more and more interested in community engaged arts. And when I first began working with community engaged arts, it was really more of like a, a project based type of effort. I try to create some sort of a project that can be inclusive to community and we offer arts workshops or arts activities, art making. And in that process, we also encourage critical conversation. So we get dialogue to, to occur. And now I see that kind of uh, evolving and taking on different forms, even like my art instruction, um, my ability to work with my students because it comes back to, I think, really what I first began with as a person involved in arts. Um, I, w- I first, you know, came to art just as a person who appreciated it. I really appreciated viewing art, um, having this communication between art, just these moments that were very personal to me and the artwork that I was uh, enjoying. And later on when I became an artist and I was making my own work, you know, I was just very thankful for um, that 
moment that I could be a creative. But now I see that I'm returning back to kind of that origin and finding more, I think, appreciation and just um, gratitude and finding moments to, to appreciate other artists' work. And I, I mean, I do that with established artists when I go to exhibitions or art markets and things like that. But I really appreciate it when it comes from those who aren't there yet. And especially those who feel like they're not a part of that type of system. So people who are more, what I would say, ikche, the common nation of the Lakota perspective. But we can think of it as people who might be grassroots or community um, who just have never engaged with a Western uh, society um, perception of what art is. And when you encourage people to think uh, critically, but also um, through their own perspective of what art is to them, you know, and I think that that opens up these, these different channels for, for conversation to happen where we can really examine art and, and critique art, but also just allow people to um, contribute their art to our world. And, and I don't think that art needs to de- be a, a, a one way, <laughs> a, a kind of like institutionalized um, format. Art can be uh, many, many different things. And I think that when you empower somebody like that, um, you're going to feel the rewards. And you're going to also, I think, feel like you did something that was worthwhile. All right. And I, and I, and I also appreciate the unpredictability that can come with something like that as well, too. When I'm painting, I mean, something might occur where uh, paint drips down the canvas. And that's kind of unpredictable. I can now control that, but I really appreciate in community engaged arts the unpredictability of people. I don't know who's going to come to these type of um, gatherings, events. I don't know what they're going to contribute. I can only just trust that it's going to be something that we can work with together. So in a way, I think it's like really pushing me higher in what I can do as an artist. How am I thinking on my feet when, when moments occur like that? And it's getting me out of the studio. And I think for all artists, that's, again, something that's going to be a new reality that eventually we're going to realize that we're going to have to also be fluent in other media, not just only our our, our studio um, comforts, whatever we're, that may be, painting, drawing, sculpture. You know, so one thing we wanted to discuss with you um, was just you're going to be giving the annual Oscar Howe Lecture. Can you first just tell us about this event and what it means um, to be giving this lecture? Yes. Um, well, the Oscar Howe Memorial Lecture is it's a tradition at USD. It was um, <clears throat> something that has been annual, um, and it, it, it's in conjunction with the Northern Plains Indian Art Market, which would occur in Sioux Falls uh, during this time. Uh, unfortunately, that's not going to take place this year due to the, the COVID uh, realities. But the the institution, uh, the College of Fine Arts and the galleries at USD, they really wanted to stay committed to the, to making that uh, annual tradition um, and, and offer it again this year. 
so it's all, um, I guess, in honor of uh, Oscar Howe. Oscar Howe, very, very legendary South Dakota artist who was from the Crow Creek Reservation. He was a Yankton Dakota. Um, very, very prolific in our state. He was the first South Dakota artist, Larry Ott. Uh, he was also very, very recognized uh, nationally as well in his time. And he also served as the um, instructor of art painting at USD for over 20 years. And this was early, early on, I think, I believe in the 60s. Um, and, and in the early 60s, he, he also established his Oscar House Summer Art Institute. <clears throat> so he's had a big um, impact on USD, especially through the arts. And he also has his gallery today still there at Old Main. Um, so a lot of people since uh, his time have really, I think, looked to him as the grandfather of modern Indian art. And they, they really pay homage to him. And they also really, I think, draw a lot from what he did as an artist, but also as a, as a person. And that's how we see this progression, this continuum of native art, uh, contemporary native art, I would say, because it's really about embracing an identity of who you are today. And that includes elements of the past, you know, but you're speaking with a voice of today. So this, this lecture has, has varied throughout the years. Um, a lot of it puts emphasis on Oscar, but a lot of it also um, brought in different topics. And, and usually these lecturers would be jurors in the, um, Northern Plains Indian art market, and they would have a variety of, of um, content to discuss. Uh, so it's an it's a excellent opportunity for those at USD to, to get into Native art and contemporary Native art. Um, and I'm happy to have been invited to, to give the lecture this year, especially as a person who does feel like I, I, I do have a, a big um, place in my heart for Oscar Howe. And for my own story to begin as a student at Oscar Howe Summer Art Institute, from that moment when I first got introduced to Oscar Howe, that led me to where I'm at today. And I feel like it's always my responsibility to show my appreciation to him, but to also pass on his legacy to any artist I work with, especially youth. So a lot of what I'm going to bring to this lecture is going to really be a moment of um, celebration of Oscar Howe's legacy. I'll share some of, of my place and where I'm at in that whole legacy and that continuum. But really, it's going to also give a bigger picture of, you know, what does our art look like here in this Northern Plains region? Uh, there's a lot of excellence. There's a lot of greatness. And I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. So I'm, I'm very uh, happy to have this opportunity to share that. Um you know, you were recently appointed to the South Dakota Arts Council last year, um, but then you resigned the position. I, I wanted to ask, do you have any comment on that? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I mean, yeah, I was very, very, very thankful, again, for these opportunities that, that I think came to me after graduate school. Um, I was very um, fortunate to to get an invite to to be appointed to the South Dakota Arts Council. And, and this was at a nomination of, of a um, member who was exiting. And um, so I took the, the, the position and I really wanted to, to be able to just contribute voice and also be aware of what's all 
taking place in our state artistically because I do have a lot of love for um, art and especially for those art uh, forms and expressions that come from individuals who I would consider, you know, neighbors or relatives. We share this homeland together and a lot of those voices and stories usually are things that um, either I'm um, a part of or I'm interested in. So that was something that I really felt was was um, fun. You know, it was good to be there. Um, and I sat for about a year maybe, and um, I had to make a decision to resign recently over the summer. And it was really because of, um, I guess, this distilling uh, of wanting to show some support to the tribal nations, um, especially those here in Western South Dakota, as I was also feeling the impacts of everything related to like COVID and all these different realities that were taking place at the time. So with this new time and what's all occurring, there has been changes. And on our tribal um, reservation, Pine Ridge, um, our our, I guess, tribal government, they took it upon themselves to um, push to have tribal checkpoints at the boundaries, at the reservation line boundaries. And these checkpoints were really meant to to serve as a way of trying to uh, help maintain the traffic coming in and out of the the reservation in a precaution attempt to to help the health of, of all the citizens. They wanted to restrict those who, who might possibly be coming in as potential carriers of COVID-19 and not allow, you know, first and foremost, the elders, who I think were at the, the most highest risk of being affected. And it was starting to show, you know, slowly the numbers were really getting high in the certain smaller districts of our, our reservation. And I can speak to this um, very personally as well, too, that I had family members who actually um, did test positive for COVID and how that was uh, scary for some of our, our, our family members because you don't know exactly what's going to take place, right? And then they become isolated. So it was really, again, one of these realities that we probably never imagined living through, but it was happening. And, you know, it, it really had an impact. And I saw it on other people as well, too. So during that time as well, there was these different, I guess, political um contrasts and there was a lot of um, challenge to the sovereignty of these tribal nations our reservation but and also Cheyenne River included as well too to the north and a lot of that was I think kind of influencing me as well as other things where there's this whole empowerment taking place now with um, um, and tribal empowerment and I felt like well how could I support that and I think that the only thing I could really feel like was in my doing was to show that, um, you know, I sit on this, this council <clears throat> and it, it is affiliated with our, our state governance. And I think um, a lot of the viewpoints and a lot of the, um, I guess, beliefs of our tribal citizens and not necessarily the government of our, our tribe, but just the, the common grassroots people, the relatives, a lot of them, I think, had issue with this uh, attack in a way on their sovereignty and i know for me being you know in peer or or part of this council it could be that um 
um, maybe I was in a way um, kind of going against those um, beliefs and, and thoughts of, of my relatives. So I thought it would just be a good decision to, to step down and resign and, and show that support in that kind of a way. So I made the decision to resign. Again, it's it's nothing against the the, peop, uh, the members of the South Dakota Arts Council or the staff there, because they're all doing really, really great work. It's just um, a gesture of what I could do to try to support tribal empowerment. Yeah, I I think we're living in strange times. I'm often reminded um, of like an Ursula Le Guin quote. I looked it up as you were speaking. It's from a speech she gave at an award ceremony near the end of the end of her life, and she said something like, um, "I think hard times are coming when we will be wanting the voices of writers who can see alternatives to how we live now and can see through our fear-stricken society and its obsessive technologies to other ways of being, and even imagine some real grounds for hope. We will need writers who can remember freedom." poets, visionaries, realists of a larger reality. And I guess I've always loved that last part of that quote, the idea of realists of a larger reality. And it's, you know, I guess to me, it's always reminded me of the potential that art has to capture, you know, a unique sense or moment or event in sort of powerful ways. You know, what role do you think art can play in these times that we're living in? It can play many different roles, and like I say, with my my decision, which was a personal but also very much um, communal, I, w- I was acting with intentions based on my relation to my my um, relatives, my community, my nation, and I was also being affected by just the realities of, of healthcare, what's taking place, but then also these different kind of challenges to to sovereignty, but then. Um, also, like everybody else, aware of what all was taking place um, in our nation. You know, you have these big movements that are occurring where it's really about um, people are, are, are feeling the, the the pressures of the times and the injustices that are taking place, and they're nothing new. These are things that I think have been taking place for, for a long time. And in our state, for sure, we are aware of the realities, right? Um, we know... Um, the tensions that have existed and maybe that have always been there, but kind of were not so obvious, but became more obvious in light of certain situations of our current time. And this is things as an artist that I'm just very receptive to. I can feel all of this. And and like everybody else, there's this built up uh, urgency to get that expression outward. How do you do that? Not everybody has a medium to, to, to channel that through. So some people have different ways, you know, and maybe they're not totally positive outlets. Art is always going to be, I think, a positive outlet, even if the content, even if the urgency or expression uh, shapes itself as <clears throat> aggressive or very, um, I think, um, uh, confrontational, maybe. <clears throat> um, but I think the, the strong, think the, the pure art um all of that is just being honest it's just going to be truthful in whatever it is that it's telling or whatever it is that it's saying whatever it is that it's doing you know it, it doesn't become just only uh um word it becomes action and i think when more and more people can 
be able to attach themselves into that type of a uh, synergy, then that's where you actually see possible change, possible um, progression, movement. There's a vehicle to to these um, artworks, I would say. And again, artwork can mean many different things. Maybe it's a simple picture, a uh, painting, or maybe it's an actual performance. Maybe it's a, um, you know, a proclamation. I don't know. There's many, many different things that I think art can can be. And you're seeing, I think, a time right now where is waves movements, um, and I think that it's only going to continue. And I think that. A lot more of our yet to come. Imagine. Oh, Keith, you cut out there just a second. Sorry. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if you could, if you want to finish that thought. Um, like, like I'm kind of talking about. I guess um, there's a generation that is now developing based off of their world and the realities of that world. And they're seeing many different things occur. And I think they're also seeing how art can be utilized possibly as a weapon. And not in the weapon as in the sense of something very harmful, but also um, in a way that I believe that is beautiful. Um, I feel like people who are gaining privilege or access to certain um, um, spheres in life, they can take art and they can do something to to push that further. Like I talk about myself, you know, I, I had the opportunity to go and, and gain my education in art and all these different experiences as a career artist. And now I bring that back to my community and I try to share that as best as I can and in a way not to make a, a young generation be like me, but to really kind of push themselves forward and find their place in the continuum, just like I recognize Oscar Howe. So I believe that in our time now, I think that a lot of um, our artists are going to realize that art is a vehicle. Art is a um, power source, and they're going to be able to do things with that. They can do things very individually. They can just share about themselves. This is how I feel. This is how I see the world. Or it could be something more communal. This is how we feel or this is what we're seeing, and we want to change that. So this is our best way of doing that. It's an art form. Um, Keith, we really appreciate chatting with you this morning. Um, you were one of the first guests that we brought on this podcast a couple of years ago when we started, so it's cool to kind of get to check in with you um, a few years later and just uh, you know see what you're up to. We always appreciate your perspective. Yeah, thank you very much, Michael. I, I really appreciate it as well, too.